Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as per usual, is my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hello, everyone. But for this discussion on Spike Lee's newest film, The Five Bloods, we're also joined by one of our favorite people. He is a Chicago film critic with a blossoming YouTube channel, one quarter of the Feelin' Film Black Label crew, and a man that has interviewed freaking Spike Lee himself. He is Emmanuel Noisset of E-Man's Movie Reviews. Hello, happy people. Man, it is so good to have you back on the show. It has been too long. We were talking about this, and what, it's been like a year now? Yeah, I think Spider-Man was like Far From Home was the last one we did. My goodness gracious. Oh, yeah. I think that's the thing. I think we need to make you the Spider-Man guy going forward. Okay we were We were all kind of talking before this podcast recording about how pumped we are, because today we learned that Miles Morales is coming to our marvel ps5 video game world at the end of this year it's the good news that we need right now fellas we absolutely and we also heard the end of the spider-verse 2 is ahead of schedule like i mean spider-man is saving the world in real time we it's needed amazing. this we needed this yes. yep we're gonna get into this episode real quick but first i wanted to let everybody know that our patron voting has taken place for june's donor pick episode and the winner is the rock as in the Nicolas Cage movie, not the actor. Uh, I'm actually really excited to talk about this one. I love it. One of my favorite pieces of 90s cheesy action. We got Sean Connery going full Sean Connery. And is it Michael Bean? I think is the villain going full Michael Bean. Like, it is awesome. So that should be a lot of fun at the end of this month. All right. Well, with that quick announcement out of the way, let's get started. And we will do that with our one word takeaways. So, Eman, how about you kick us off, brother? Whew. Um, yeah, my one word takeaway was definitely conflicted. Um, and I think that was within myself personally and within a number of the characters in the film. Um, I think there's a lot of different types of conflict. We have parental conflict. We have uh, political ideology conflict. We have socio-ethnic conflict. Um, we have American patriotism, you know, and so on. So, yeah, it, 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 that is what I absolutely take away from this film, just because there's so many things that are wrestling with one another and bumping heads. Um, it, it's, it's fantastic to watch almost because it's, you know, it's almost like that, that car crash phenomena where you, you see just all this madness going on and you can't help but to slow down. Um, I don't want to say that this movie was a car crash because I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but it's just kind of similar to that because it's just, there's so much to digest. There's so much to take away. Um, Spike Lee just throws everything at us, but we'll get to that later. All right. Well, Patrick, how about you? What word did you come away with? Scattered was the word that I came away with in the similar vein that E-Man kind of alluded to, that Spike Lee throws a lot at you. And from my perspective, 
it became difficult at times to kind of absorb what exactly I was supposed to latch on to. I got the social commentary, which is not something that surprises me about a Spike Lee joint, and that's fine. At the same time, I also got a lot of different tones, <laughs> and it became challenging for me to walk through the movie and connect to a certain kind of plot line or a certain kind of character arc. And the times when they shine, they shine big. It just became cumbersome to keep up with everything that was going on. And sometimes that's a thing that happens in a movie that's two hours and 30 minutes in length. Sometimes it's not enough. And for me, I don't know that I left my movie experience going, that was something, <laughs> but I don't know what that something was. I, I felt like I just, if I had to watch it again, I'd probably have to watch it a third time to kind of compartmentalize the things that I was experiencing because there were a number of different things that connected in some ways, but not in others. And it, it made it pretty difficult for me to not follow the narrative. I mean, I got what was going on. But the way in which it was being played out felt tonally a little uneven and it kind of left me scattered by the end of it going, um, what did I watch? What was he trying to say? I got some of it, but I kind of need some more insight into that. So it's kind of like looking at a painting and making an interpretation, but knowing that you don't have the artist's input. And so I kind of wish I was an E-Man shoes saying, can I sit down with Spike and walk with him through this uh through the story and figure out kind of what was going through his head as he was crafting certain scenes and putting these characters together. So scattered was my word. Well, I'm going to fall right in line with the two of you because my word was messy. And essentially for the exact same reasons, as you guys have mentioned, look, the lives of black Americans have been messy in this country forever. And especially so in Vietnam where soldiers were, being taken out of a messy situation at home and thrown into another messy situation somewhere else. And they talk about that in the film. It's a lot to endure. And I was really hyped for this movie. I'll say that because I've got a father who was in Vietnam himself. It took decades before I could ever even get him to talk about his experience. I mean, he was there for like four years. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't even a long time in, in my head, you know, having spent 15 and a half years in the Navy, but like, in the bush and in the fight, it's different. And I've always been fascinated by like the fact that all of our Vietnam movies, while they often will have a black character to try and sell you on the soul brother who was over there fighting alongside us, the white man, they're never centered on that experience. And so the fact that Spike was going to give us this was super cool. And I'm really glad that he's done that despite my confliction with, my takeaways from the movie and how I responded to it. So I'm glad it exists, but it, it's messy. And I think the reality of this situation was so messy that it's just, that's what Spike made. I mean, it, it sort of reflects reality in so many ways because of that. It's disjointed. It's not easy. It's not a smooth flow from A to B. That's not what life is like for this group of people. And so we get messy relationships. We get messy ethical and moral dilemmas. I'll be honest, to me, sometimes they didn't make sense. And I'm like, why is character doing this? Like, this doesn't seem like it's right 
and it's I, I wanted to root for somebody and then I couldn't root for him, but I really didn't want to root against him either. And I just it was it was a mess. And then, you know, so structurally, narratively, historically, reality, like it's all messy for me. And I think I think we all kind of had a similar experience with the film. And I think it'll be interesting to kind of walk through why that was and then what we got out of it should be a good time. I'll give a quick spoiler warning before we go any further, because we are going to talk about this film in full. It will be out on Netflix when this podcast is up, so people can go put it on Friday night, hopefully watch this, uh, watch it over the weekend, and then check out this conversation to hopefully gain some more insight. I am hoping, for, from my own perspective, to be honest, that E-Man can help give me some insight into into not only like how he responds to the movie, but I'm I'm interested in it to hear some of what maybe you were able to talk to Spike about and maybe tell us about that experience. In fact, in fact, I didn't even write this in the notes. I don't know why I didn't. Why don't you kind of, without going into like the specifics of, you know, the story and such, how did that come about? Like, how did you get on a screen, a Zoom screen or whatever with the man Spike Lee? Yeah. So um, shout out to the African-American film critic, uh, association um you know name is self-explanatory um but yeah they what we do is uh what we've been doing are these round tables um where it's maybe like nine eight or nine black critics you know people in the media uh and that's from like all over the country atlanta new york la etc um and we'll interview you know, different celebrities or different actors, directors on upcoming films. Um, a lot of it so far has been thanks to a really good relationship with Netflix. Um, you know, they've been very like ever since the whole lockdown situation happened, they've been very open, you know, and willing to uh, work, I think, with organizations like ours to, you know, just give us a platform and to. Um, give us a chance to, you know, experience that access that normally we wouldn't be able to get individually, you know, and um, just for myself, I'm just personally trying to build up a resume of sort to kind of, you know, use that in the future and be like, hey, look at who I've talked to. Can I talk to this person? You know, so um, incredibly fortunate just to be involved with it. Um, you know, it's nothing on my own accord. Not, not yet. I wish, you know, I wish it was all on E-Man's credibility, but, um, no, it's, it's really because of the larger efforts of this, uh, organization. Um, and I'm just super appreciative just to take part in, in that's, it. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Was it fun talking to Spike Lee? Absolutely. Um, Spike is very loquacious. Um, he will... What you see is what you get. Like, if you've ever seen Spike Lee in an interview at all, that's him. And I could just say, like, when, you know, because I had not really, a, you know, I try to make my question relevant to the topics at, you know, hand, but still sticking to the movie. So I asked him the, the Drew Brees question, you know, uh -huh. because of Drew Brees' recent commentary and his whole controversy and all that with disrespecting the flag and, he was, you know, invoking his grandparents who fought in World War II. And I was like, hey, Spike, you made a movie about black veterans and how they view the country and the flag and so on and so forth. Um, what do you think about Drew Brees' comments? And 
he gave his answer and the, the crazy thing is he gave me such a short answer it's not what i insist. i was like what i was really prepping for a five minute answer from spike lee uh-huh and this man gave me like seven like a words. sermon <laughs> yeah yeah like seriously and he gave me like seven words and i'm like okay fine now I, you know, I already published that, you know, on my fan page, so you can, you know, go check that little snippet out. But the, the thing that's coming soon, uh, when you do watch the full interview, uh, Delroy Lindo chimed in. And when I asked him, I was like, okay, well, Spike, since you kind of, you know, shorted <laughs> me right there, uh, Mr. Lindo, what would your character say to this character, Paul? And the funny thing is, he didn't want to tell me what Paul would say yet. He was like, can Lindo answer first? <laughs> I, I want to answer Drew Brees first. So in that interview, if you check it out, you'll get both. Oh, <laughs> man, what a tease. Oh, now I want to go. I want to stop the podcast and go watch the interview. <laughs> and he, he gave the answer that I was hoping Spike would give. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just say that. But, yeah, Delroy Lindo is amazing. Um, and then, of course, if you do go watch that interview – I'll also link the full interview, which is more than worth watching, mm-hmm. uh, because they also included Jonathan Majors in there, too, who nice. played David. So it, it was a really good, candid conversation, um, some fun little tidbits in there, uh, which I will drop later in here just for the fun of it. But um, if you just walked away, I think, with a positive impact from this movie, you'll definitely want to hear more of what Spike had to say. Uh, later on cool well we'll make sure you give us your information at the end of the podcast so everybody can go follow you and check out where that interview is all right let's get into the conversation now so lee chooses a unique structure which we've all identified very strongly with during our one more takeaways for what is essentially this hyper-focused look at black war veterans and some of the choices he made that i noticed he used the same actors for scenes in the past and present, which somewhat threw me off at times. And I was a little confused of what was going on here. Where were we? We had a shift between different frame size and frame styles. Sometimes we would go into like a boxed view, um, an old timey film type style. He would utilize close-ups where characters, often Paul, would essentially be right in front of the camera talking to you, the audience montage style, a monologue style, um, almost as if that was a scene from a play. There are montages, which I always think of Patrick when I see montages. Um, and then there's, of course, a Spike Lee joint. There is a wealth of history that is intercut into this fictional story in very odd spots in the middle, middle of a fictional narrative where something is happening we just stop and pause to throw up someone's picture on the screen with uh some dates and some history and a little bit of a lesson so my question is and we'll start with you pretty much for everything e-man so i don't just have to continually remind you but what do you feel like spike was trying to express with these conflicting messy scattered methods and does it Hinder or help your ability to connect with the film? Mm, great questions. Um, I think Spike is, and, and I mean this in like all the most respective ways. I think he is scatterbrained, you know, in that sense where he's constantly thinking and he's a very vivid, um, 
like his mind is very vivid in terms of like he just wants to put everything he sees and thinks on the screen for you to take in um fun little interesting thing um the two and a half hours that we saw the movies actually well it originally was like three hours oh like that's that's what test audiences were you know originally getting and um yeah you could just imagine uh spike lee being told or asked can you chop some of this stuff up you know and yeah that so we could have gotten a much longer movie but i think that's just again indicative of the type of visionary that spike is he has a lot to say and when you talk about like did it work for me or not this is a question of like art right um spike lee has a very distinctive art style you know and how he does things um you know i was just recently re-watching uh do the right thing and i'm seeing the same elements all the way back in you know the late 80s that he's still doing today but now he's kind of actually evolving a little bit uh where he always has that in your face approach of i'm almost going to break character and just talk to you as an audience member you know through his characters um so they're like they almost break through the fourth wall but not really but the message is so uh blatant it's so obvious that it's almost impossible for someone to miss out on it and you know i you know like you were talking about like with the different frame rates and you know like um delroy lindo going into his soliloquy his monologue you know that 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 aspect of it again i think is spike trying to bring in the things that he personally likes into movies because he is a huge movie fan um one thing he did mention in the interviews was just man, I really like this movie and I really like that movie. So you, you'll see a little bit of it in here, you know, like the Apocalypse Now. We saw that huge, very overt montage, you know, that, that homage paid to it. So when you see these different things happening, I think it's really just Spike expressing himself and just trying to let you know um, these are the things that I like. I mean, when you mentioned earlier, Aaron, about how um some of it felt like a broadway play you know he mentions that because he you know in 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 the interview because he was like that's how he met uh delroy lindo he was like i I fell in Mm. love with this guy you know when he was on stage doing his thing so it's like when you hear that it's like that makes sense as to why you would want to incorporate that because that's how you fell in love with this actor you know, and and probably why you'd want to bring him on. Um, and then, you know, another thing is Spike allows his actors a lot of freedom to just rift and just go. So um, one scene, for example, the chicken scene, uh, the chicken in the boat scene. One Now, for me, if I had never known anything, you know, if I hadn't heard Spike talk or anything like that, um, I would have been like, mm, that went on a little too long. Like, you could have cut out two minutes of that interaction mm-hmm. and kind of get to the point. However, listening to what he was saying, that was more improv hmm. than anything. Um, that was a scene that the actors were just like, we're going to try this, and then we're going to see where it goes. And they shoot it, they do their thing with it, and then they're like, hey, Spike, come and te- check this out. And Spike is like, I love it. Boom, done. 
And that's how you have that scene. So I would imagine that's kind of what ends up happening with a lot of his movies. Like, he'll just have... Because he hires brilliant actors. That's very intentional. Oh, yeah. You know, no it's not it's not Spike going around hand-holding people. You know, um, I forget what it was, but I think he was talking about Denzel Washington and Malcolm. Or, or it was either Malcolm... Yeah, I think it was Malcolm X. But it was something to the effect of Denzel was just going and just doing something and for whatever reason spike was like oh my god what was that like that was brilliant what was that and denzel was like i don't know like i might have been divine i don't know can't do it again (laughs) can't can't recall it and spike was like record it like that's going on the tape you know so yeah i think spike is just all over the place um and it's just something that you're either going to like it or you're not but again, that's going to be based off of your artistic tolerance for him. Um, if you're going in there trying to measure Spike against our typical movie format and structures, yeah, it, it might not work very well for you. Um, and it can be distracting. I mean, he goes it from, you know, the, the Broadway style to almost a slideshow presentation during a history class, you know, or something. So, it's that spike and it's it's hard for me to criticize him for doing his own unique take but at the end of the day i get it it might not be what i like so even if i have a grievance with it it's minor yeah so that's that's kind of the best way i can uh i can articulate that i I like what you're saying and i think it actually it makes perfect sense because what i immediately go to is i'm imagining you know okay Spike's lo- he loves this scene. He loves that scene. And maybe what he doesn't do that other directors do is worry about how we're going to chain those scenes together. He's like, this is the best way that this scene can be shot. And I don't care how it connects to another scene. Like it comes in the progression next, but I don't need to worry about whether it's going to flow right. And that is something that traditional directors, if you were, really care about. Patrick, how did this work for you? Because I know we were talking about it some as you were watching it. You were responding to it in real time and talking to me. Does does the fact that you understand it, because I think we all get this about Spike Lee on a intellectual level, does it affect your ability to find entertainment value in as as a movie, in watching the movie? Because when you have these occasionally out of place action sequences that suddenly go hard and then we drop into very strange odd comedy at times and just bounce back and forth how did it work for you if you told me that this was an experimental film i probably would have responded to it differently than if you would have told me it was what it was part of where i have a problem is the fact that as a director you're not your job isn't to handhold your job is to direct. And part of direction means to know when to stop and when to start. And I'm not saying that Spike Lee doesn't know how to do that. And it's important to be able to give your actor some creative freedom, but to be able to give them an overarching message of here's what we're trying to accomplish. Again, I'm not on set with him and his artistic style is one that I don't gravitate towards, but there are movies that I enjoy that he directs. The uh, Black Klansman was one of my favorites. In fact, Aaron and I were talking about it. I don't know if we said this on the show when we covered it, but I had said that when you look at Do the Right Thing, which I really enjoy, and you look at Black Klansman, Spike Lee is still an angry black man. He's just more restrained. He's more mature. 
in his message, but his message is still the same. So if you take away anything from Spike Lee, you're going to say that he is consistent. He has been a consistent type of director for the last 20 years. And there's something to be said for that. So just like with Michael Bay stylistically or Quentin Tarantino and the way he tells stories, you get what you get and you have to accept that. And so subjectively, I can say Spike Lee is not usually my thing, just like Quentin Tarantino is not usually my thing. I can appreciate from an artistic standpoint experiencing something like this, but I have no problem saying that as an audience, I need to be able to have something that feels cohesive. Christopher Nolan messes with time all the time, and he does it with purpose. And there's no reason to compare him to Spike Lee. But when I look at this movie, I see a lot of scenes cut together that flow in a way that gets you from point A to point B to point C. But there is no personal enjoyment that I get out of that. It feels like they're kind of constrained in and of themselves. The scenes themselves have high points and low points. But getting from one place to another, it almost feels like I'm in the mind of Paul, who is kind of schizophrenic and all over the place. Like the moment that he's getting badgered by that chicken, I kind of feel like, man, I'm being badgered by a lot of this conversation that's happening. I told I told Aaron that I feel like every scene is an opportunity for Spike Lee to do what he does best, which is comment on the state of the world, the state of racial injustice, the state of the political turmoil that we're in. All those things are true. And when you have something like an opportunity, a platform to do a story, to create a story, I personally think there is an opportunity and a responsibility to allow your audience to connect in some way. You're not going to do that with everybody. And if you're going to be divisive intentionally or not, that's just a byproduct of being who you are as a director. So I would never ask in I don't think anybody should ever ask Spike Lee to be anything but Spike Lee. It's important to know that you need to see a full gamut of his stuff to make a full kind of subjective opinion and temper your expectations accordingly. Having seen maybe a handful of his movies, I can't make that assumption. And so my reaction to the movie is probably going to be a lot more, I don't want to say jaded, but more in a way that says, I think that deserved better. That was kind of mad. I get what you were saying loud and clear. I feel like you were saying it repetitively in a way that it almost felt, okay, I get it. Now let's let's get on with the story and, and don't stop and say that again. There were things that felt a little overt, things that felt a little heavy handed. Again, if that's Spike Lee's thing, great. But for my taste, I'm subtle. I like the idea of giving it to me so that I can go, oh yeah, I kind of understand that. And that, to me, is part of the entertainment experience, being able to figure stuff out, being able to kind of walk slowly through these things, as opposed to jumping in, having a moment that has a style like this, moving to a kind of a Broadway sequence, having great dialogue here, and then having like an explosion in the scene <laughs> next. So it doesn't really work for me in that regard, but I understand it from a from an artistic standpoint. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you guys have said, and that's very much my experience with the film as well. I think I definitely responded to it maybe a little more than you did because when we are dealing with the PTSD issues of Paul, I was locked in to this movie. And honestly, that, there's a large portion of this movie that frankly, that's the movie I wanted to see. And that's part of why I responded to that 
section of the movie. And then when we would kind of go into the other section of the movie, the other half, and I've, I've even broke on the podcast kind of questions into two sides. One is the bloods and what being a veteran going back to this war and, and the civil rights issues that they were facing were like dealing with. And then also the treasure hunt. <laughs> and when we were, it's weird because I'm a treasure hunt guy. Like I love treasure hunt movies, but I felt like that was almost for me a little bit of a distraction from the movie that I cared about, which was the mental state and the health and the relationships that were being fractured and torn apart. So um, what I do like is the fact that there are people out there who are responding to this, even just amongst the critics who've seen it, who are very strongly feeling impacted by it. And like you said, Patrick, it's not going to always hit for all people. Spike's got to be true to himself and he's doing that. And no matter what the structure is, this is still a movie that is unique. It is an experience that we have not seen on film. And who knows when we're going to see it again, frankly. Um, and in that regard, it's special, regardless of how perfectly it may flow for one or all of us. So it can kind of be a slippery slope to label a movie the one we need right now. I hate that phrase. And it gets tossed around in the film criticism world all the time. <laughs> We're all technically film critics, but we also are kind of like all sort of jaded film critics who don't really want to necessarily be called film critics because we just want to do our own thing. And there's like this community that we're not really part of, this elitist type community. So there's these words, the one we need right now. It's culturally important. It's, you know, impactful in time for the times. But in the case of the five bloods, I mean, guys, the timing of its release, it can't be ignored by whether it's providence of the timing or whatever you want to call it. It is coming out at a time in our country's history when we may be experiencing the greatest cultural revolution that we have had, maybe ever, but at least in several decades. So, Iman, I want to throw this to you first, of course. Do you feel like Spike's anger, Spike's righteous anger, his hurt, his pain, all of the things that he is trying to capture in the current feelings of black Americans, do you think he does that through this film? And... How does he weave that? What is this movie saying to you? I guess is what I would ask is from your perspective as a black man who has never seen yourself represented in a Vietnam war movie. What does this do for you? Culturally speaking. Um, so I think for the notion about this is the movie we need right now. Um, I'd put a little pushback on that only because I don't think, and I'm talking about all Americans, we don't do very well with history. Um, we don't do very well with connecting history with the present and seeing how everything works. I mean, it's kind of like evolution. You know, you could sit here and say people have been around for millions and billions of years, but you can't really conceptualize that, right? Like once you go past 10, 20, 30 years, it's all just kind of a blur. So I think um, this resonates 100% with actual veterans, right? So especially if you're a black veteran. Matter of fact, on, in during that press roundtable, and I didn't know this, one of our one of the colleagues was a black veteran. And he was telling Spike, like, hey, thank you for this movie to tell our story 
And Spike had responded and said, you know, other black veterans who had seen the film were saying, what took you so long? You know, in less colorful language. But, you know, it was like, what took you so long? Because I don't think we really had this story told, you know, about that conflict. And the only time, at least in my, you know, limited lifespan of film and everything, the only time I've seen that dynamic of being black and a veteran in the Vietnam War be played out was whenever it dealt with Muhammad Ali. You know, if it was a Muhammad Ali story, then we can talk about that and it, that issue gets raised up, but I never saw the full impact of it. As of how it relates today, I don't know if your average person is going to watch this specific movie and be like, boom, I get it. You know, I, I, I don't really see that. I don't see that happening. Unlike, let's say, something like um, 13th, you know, or um, When They See Us or something that that's a little bit closer, you know, in the time aspect. Um, you know, actually, maybe Do the Right Thing would probably be a little bit better just because of the stark parallels of police brutality and the current events now. Um, but needless to say, I still think that this was an important story to tell um, because of the... I mean, like, I was able to connect some things to this. You know, I was able to connect, you know, the fact that you've had um, African Americans go out to war for this country, come back, which is, by the way, a, a repeated, you know, uh, situation where we fight for this country, we come back and we're still not, you know, we're still discriminated against. And, I mean, I connected that with what was going on, you know, uh, with Kaepernick and how people were, you know, questioning our freedom and right to protest as being anti-American. You know, and, and it's that disconnect that just kept happening. And that was... That is what kind of stuck with me culturally with this movie. Um, and among other things, too. I mean, just so many of the themes were just so impactful. And I know we'll, we'll get to that later, but um, I think it was just the fact that you saw a story that typically has not really been, you know, we haven't had a deep dive into that. We haven't had a deep dive into the fact that being black, being a veteran, experiencing mental health issues, you know, having, uh, uh, trying to hold it all together, you know, at the same time, you know, those were things that I can appreciate because that kind of is the black experience in a sense of trying to juggle so many things and at the same time, not knowing how to process it, not knowing how to deal with it until it reaches some sort of boiling point which we kind of see, you know, in this film. So that that's, I think that's where, you know, I appreciate this from a cultural standpoint the most. Patrick, I want to start getting into the characters here because we've got a lot of different character relationships that we walk through. I think some of the biggest ones are obviously Paul. Well, Paul by himself. He's Paul is our, our lead character. Lindo is Oscar worthy in this film. And and so if you're listening to this and somehow you've already gotten past the spoiler warning and you haven't seen the movie yet, you need to see the movie at the very least for Delroy Lindo's performance because he's phenomenal. And 
he goes through an incredible range of emotions um, that is just it's it's brilliant to watch. It's also painful to watch at times. But we also have his relationship with his son, David, played by Jonathan Majors from I think he made his debut last year in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Another really great movie. I know he was in it. I don't know if it was his debut or not. Um, and their relationship is one of the through lines of this film. And then we have, obviously, the Bloods, um, who are the, the five men who are coming back together. They have this brotherhood versus this other side of their relationship as former squad mates. Um, they're connected as black men. They're connected as soldiers in their different ways in which that plays out throughout the film. And then we have Storm and Norman, who a little bit distractingly, I think, was played by is it Chad, it's Chadwick Boseman, right? Your man, Chadwick Boseman, E-man, uh, who was this squad leader of theirs who they really idolized and looked up to, um, who had passed away and they're going back to try and obviously get his remains, but his ghost and memories of him replay throughout the film to kind of show us how that relationship has shaped their lives. That's a lot, Patrick. But what I'm asking is, how did some of these relationships affect you? And specifically, how do you think that Spike showed us through these men what this trauma was like that they were experiencing both at home and in war? Well, I think one of the challenges that you have when you introduce things like trauma, father-son relationships, uh, the the community that was represented with the Five Bloods, you have to have some kind of foundation of familiarity. So when when I say I love movies that take place in high school, it's because I can relate. Obviously, I've been to college and I've been married, and I could say I love movies about marriage, I love movies about college, but I have vivid memories and vivid connections with things that happened in high school. So when I see stuff played out, there's nostalgia, there's familiarity, and the same thing can be said about that father-son relationship, about Paul's mental health. These are things that I don't personally, I personally connect to the father-son relationship, but I've known that kind of turmoil of mental health. A good friend of mine ended up killing himself because he was schizophrenic and it was tragic. So there's a point that you have a connection from personal experience that helps enhance those where I think directors have a challenging responsibility is authenticity in that. This is where I think Spike Lee really shines in all three of those areas. I absolutely love the introduction of these five men in the hotel lobby. And I'm disconnected because I'm a white guy and I don't know the lingo. I don't understand some of the things that they're doing. I love the secret handshake, I guess is what it is. And and that's fine. You're not, you're not meant to be educated on all that. And I think this is part of what you talked about, Aaron, that there are some things that are said that you don't understand why this character is saying it. Those didn't distract me as much. What I love is that when we get introduced to the four of these guys, and then there's a pause for Norman. We don't know what's happened. We find out later, and there's a picture, and there's a like almost like a pause for like a silent, uh, respectful moment. And that's our introduction. And then over dinner, we get to know more about them. We see kind of bits of background about where they've been, what's influenced them. We find out that Paul is an incredible supporter of the current presidential situation. 
and that surprises these other three. But what we see throughout the film with their relationship as a crew is that they're unified. And yes, there is division at different points, but there is this through line of we've experienced this. We have this cultural history together as black men. And I think because Spike Lee understands that he's able to put that on screen in a way that feels real because it is real. And the same thing with Paul and David, you have what should be a close relationship because it's blood is actually in a strange relationship. And Paul almost resents David because he's an educated guy. And I just, I love the fact that he's just rocking the Morehouse gear. You know, Spike Lee's just showing off his alma mater. It's fantastic. But over the course of the movie, we see David really seeing his dad and we know that he genuinely loves him. There's a great conversation that he's having with, I don't remember the guy's name, but he, it's, it's on the boat and they're, they're looking at their dad, his dad. And he's like, yeah, I just, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, he's, he's been struggling for years now. So, you, you know, there's not resentment. There's not like a disconnect in terms of wanting to love and care about your dad, but you know, there's a disconnect because they don't have that thing in common. He's not one of the five bloods yet. And then we see that relationship organically grow where, where David really understands what his dad was all about and why he was the way he was, respecting it, valuing it, not necessarily wanting to be like his father, but at the very least, understanding his dad on a level that he never did before. And then having Storm and Norman in the midst of all this be sort of an anchor for all five of these guys. I know for Paul, he was incredibly important, but he provided stability. I think he provided what I think Spike Lee does really well in these other four individuals is he creates four different personalities. And I think Norman represents that little bit of all of them. Like, it's almost like he says, I know what you're feeling. I know what each one of you guys are feeling right now in this moment at any given situation. And he has the ability to sort of own all four of those personalities, all four of those temperaments in a way that I think a real leader should. Someone who can say, it's okay to be angry, but we need to be able to temper that because of X. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be quiet because there's a time for this. And when you see that, I think it's appropriate that he's the one that's physically not there because these four, I think, are going back, yes, to gather his remains, but I think they're also going back to find some closure because they didn't. Their anchor was gone and they were drifting. And I feel like in some ways the story is trying to bring these guys back, not to get them re-anchored, but to help them find maybe a new set of waters that they can sail in, to take that analogy way too far. <laughs> Yeah, what about you, Iman? Are there any of the relationships that struck a chord with you more than the others? Um, it was definitely the father-son relationship because uh I think that kind of touched on you know, an ongoing situation within the black community which is, you know, the f just having a father presence, you know, and in a in a weird way you know, Paul was kind of there, but not, 
you know, and at the same time, David is like struggling. I mean, he's chasing his father for his love. You know, he's not going there to go get gold. He's going there to get his father's attention and approval and, you know, and his love in some way, shape or form. And, you know, what I thought was kind of beautiful about it was that from David's perspective, he wasn't trying to force his father to become something that he wasn't. He was trying to meet his father where he was at. He's like, oh, if this you want to go chase gold. All right, pops, I'm coming with you. Like, I'm going to go get some gold with you. Like, oh, we got to go in this jungle. Fine. I'm going to go with you. So um, that that was definitely something I'm I'm always a sucker for that, mainly because I don't think we've seen a black father, son or father, daughter relationships emphasized enough in movies, um, which is one of the reasons why Pursuit of Happiness is like one of my favorite all time movies. And I think Will Smith was robbed in that case um because it's very rare that you see that uh that depiction so yeah that that relationship absolutely was key um now are we only limiting this to character to character or are we gonna go whatever you want man okay because i thought (laughs) another interesting thing was just paul's relationship with his political ideology you know as a trump supporter and you know it it, it was it, it, i was <laughs> kind of i mean like i think you know i was i was having another discussion about this specific thing earlier and one thing that was kind of raised was that you know maybe um spike lee was kind of yeah i mean spike already is not the biggest fan newsflash all right breaking news he's not the biggest fan of president trump um and there was this notion that Paul's character was kind of like, you know, I don't want to say like a parody, but just almost like a joke of what a Trump supporter would look like or whatever. And the funny thing is that like what I noticed that Spike did, because Spike really didn't have to put Paul's character in that position. He didn't have to make Paul's character, you know, a conservative Republican or anything like that. But what I thought was interesting was how Spike allowed his character to traverse both worlds, but still be indicative of how Paul interacts with other things. So what I mean by that is there's a certain um, cognitive dissonance within Paul. You know, his admiration for President Trump, for example, it's genuine. Like he he likes him. Because he's a straight shooter. And in a sense, he kind of, Trump reminds Paul of Paul, you know, in terms of his, I'm going to say what I want to say, do what I want to do, and I'm going to get it done type of attitude. And that's fine. But then you have the the other dissonance that, you know, his brothers are kind of like, what? (laughs) Do you know what this guy says? Do you know what he does? And, you know, like, do you know what he represents? Do you know the type of certain you know hate groups that follow him you know like so there's that disconnect within paul but then when you see how paul interacts with norman and that dynamic it makes more sense paul's not sitting here you know because if you think about it norman's character was kind of not only idolized but almost revered you know almost as like a, a, a a divine figure in a sense especially for paul of all people um 
there's no way that Norman would have been a Trump supporter, you know, had he lived. And if had he lived, there's no I'm I'm assuming Paul wouldn't have become a uh, Trump supporter either, you know, because he would have had that following the teachings and all that stuff that Norman was passing down to him that were diametric, diametrically opposed to uh, those type of uh, ideologies. So the fact that Paul could sit around and have, the, you know, the, the wisdom and the teachings and the thought processes of Norman on one side, but then also be a Trump supporter on the other, I'm like, that's a really interesting dynamic to explore. And at the same time, we see that Paul never really reconciles with any of that until the very end, you know, when he actually has that come to Jesus moment, in a sense, with Norman. And that's when those two things just finally come together. He gets his closure and it's just like, okay, now I'm at peace. So I was very interested in that relationship um, and how his character traversed both sides. Interesting. I, I like hearing what everybody picks up on. Um, I, we all definitely all collectively relate or resonate with the father son relationship. And I know that's by design. That's the central piece throughout. And it hits me pretty hard as well. I think just watching a man clearly with major PTSD on top of <laughs> all of the the racial stuff that he has to deal with throughout his life, these things are like piling on. And when you see the breakdown in relationship that he has and in the sort of the blockers that are between him and his son, like you mentioned, and, and not only that, but him and his friends, clearly his best friends, the inability for, a man to open up to wear this persona of strength and of, you know, I'm not going to ever be broken and I'm going to be angry. And that's just how it's going to be. And I don't know because I'm not in the black community, but I have known a lot of men who have talked to me. And I feel like that's something that is very common is feeling like I've got to, put this face on. I've got to act. I cannot show weakness. And it was hard for me to watch that in Paul. And one, I, I mean, I'm rooting, man. I'm like, I'm watching the movie and I'm begging him. I'm like, please like rely on these guys. Like look at Otis. Like he's there for you. You know what I mean? Like he wants to help you. And then I wanted, I had to check myself too, because I was like, well, is that me projecting what I think is best for Paul? Because I, feel like Otis represents me. And so therefore I want Paul to be what I want Paul to be. Um, or is there something? Cause Paul to me reflects a lot of spikes feelings about race and culture. Um, maybe more so some other characters. There's even a moment in this where I, I like this. Cause I started to wonder about it was a long movie, but like we were getting about the, two thirds mark. And I'm like, who are these other two characters? We don't even know Melvin and Eddie's names until like right before Eddie gets blown up. And we found out after they get the gold, there's a very powerful scene where Eddie's like, I ain't, I ain't got no car dealerships anymore. Like 
I'm lying. I I lost it all, you know. And again, I was going back to that place of like, we can't be honest with each other. Um, and and I wanted that for them so bad, and so it was interesting to watch that play out. And I mean, I didn't. I, I know that Spike's movies are definitely not about like trying to say here's a solution. They're about experiencing things and seeing people go through these situations. And so I, I did appreciate that in the relationships, getting to watch those different perspectives because it's wholly different than me personally. I, I'm one of those people that wears my heart on my sleeve. I break down at a moment's notice. I'm going to cry in front of you, whoever you are. Um, and I understand that not everybody does that with their feelings. Uh, and that, that moment with David, by the way, or Paul, by the way, that you guys talked about with the chicken is, was almost my connecting point because that was such a phenomenal moment of that understandable anger. And what I love that Spike does is we build to the chicken scene because there are several incidents with Paul before that. There's the hotel when he first gets to the door and he's like, I don't want to mess with you people. Like I, I'm obviously uncomfortable being back here. And then there's the one legged kid that comes up and tries to mess with them in the, you know, um, restaurant. And then of course, Throws the firecrackers, which was also very powerful. I mean, my dad, own dad tells me all the time, like he's to this day, when he sits in a restaurant, he sits with his back against the wall facing the, he wants to face the door. And that came from his time in Vietnam. And so then this kid throws these firecrackers and scares him. And so there's multiple incidents of Paul being like pushing back on this culture. Like he doesn't want to be in this place. He doesn't want to interact with this place again. And so when you get to that chicken scene, it's just boiling over. And the way that scene ends, it's a glimpse. And that's the thing is it's a glimpse of the closeness and the community that these guys can have. And I loved it so much. I loved them putting their hands in and I liked it every time they put their hands in. But when they put their hands in that time and the way that, again, if they show an Oscar montage for Delroy when he, you know, is up for best actor, which he should be. This I want this in there because the way he goes through these emotions and processes and he's like, get in there, get in there, Dave, get in there, boy. Like, and he's, he's angry. He's saying it through clenched teeth. And then he even tells Vin, he's like, Vin, mm -hmm. get in there, Vin. Like you're with us right now. Right. Like we're here together. And they put their hands in and I forget what he says, but yeah, he says, oh, they all say bloods, right? Which is the the regular thing. And then he screams, Norm on top of it, like expressing that feeling he has that connection. And so it was just really powerful with me walking through Paul um, and his journey. I just wanted to add on to your uh, earlier point about um, Paul and that reluctance of getting help. I mean, Otis came up to him and said, you got to talk to somebody, you know, and you know, that would be the right thing to do. You know, unfortunately there is a resistance to um, just seeking mental health, you know, getting therapy, getting counseling. Um, there is a resistance to it, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I like the fact that they kind of showed it because we see kind of, cause I kind of got the impression that Otis went through it, you know, it's similar things, but he actually got help. And he seemed like one of the more level-headed people. And, you know, so in a sense, I was kind of like, oh, so, Paul, you could have been like Otis. But, you know, had you actually gone and got some help, but you 
chose not to, and you just, you know, you're using Norm as your therapy, and that's clearly not helping all the way. Um, and we get to see that result. Well, the other half of this film, as we all know, is the treasure hunt, right? And it's kind of very oddly mixed in, in my opinion. And this is where all the, the confliction comes. Like, I think without this piece, I would have been able to handle more of the history that we were getting mixed in with the drama of reuniting and such. But we get some, like, actual buddy cop type humor moments and heist situations that are going on. How does that part mesh for you, E-Man? And then, like, on a thematic side, how do you feel like the greed in the men really affects their overall ability to accomplish their mission and then also just to how does it erode their relationships in your opinion you know i so when i the first two-thirds of the movie i'm like okay i was starting to feel the weight of the time you know at that point and at that moment i was kind of like okay where's this movie going you know are, are we only on this journey um to get to know them you know is that the point but then we get to the third act, you know, where they're actually doing some treasure hunting. And it was at that point that I was like, oh, now we're in movie mode. You know, we're, we're no longer in documentary mode. We're no longer in, uh, you know, history class mode or whatever Spike was doing before. Now we're in cinematic, you know, mode. And in a sense, it, it, you know, I, I, my impression is, the first two thirds of the movie were kind of boring you and lulling you down to sleep. This is where it kind of picks up. You know, the, now we get some gun action going on. We get some fighting going on. It was still pretty cliche stuff. You know, I can't say that it was the most, you know, uh, uh, intriguing stuff. You know, the scene with David, um, on the landmine and everything that, you know, Hey, it was getting pretty intense, you know? Um, but, I think that um I'm not sure what it really accomplishes though but I I thought the greed element was interesting because it just further humanized all of them you know I, I, it's for whatever reason I always sit here and think to myself like well I I do still kind of think of it I I feel like black people are like superheroes just with all the crap that they deal with and then still maintain some level of survival instinct to make it seem like it's all okay um but at the end of the day we're all still human and to go to war fight for one another be black be discriminated against you know have these common struggles and still be broken up over money I'm like, this doesn't get more human than that. Like, it's just, cause, you know, it doesn't, I'm not saying it's always going to be greed, but, you know, well, then again, what do they say, uh, the love of money is, you know, the root of all evil. So, you know, maybe there's something there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I just thought that it was a really, um, humanizing, um, 
issue that everybody could relate to. You know, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, maybe even a family member or something like money tears people apart. Greed tears people apart. Um, so I like the fact that there was that unifying, um, which is ironic because it kind of <laughs> almost separated them, but that unifying theme um, that they all were in some way, shape or form affected by, you know, they all kind of felt that little that little itch of greed, which led to a little bit of mistrust, which in a sense almost, you know, uh, uh, contrasted against everything that they stood for and fought for in terms of, you know, being the bloods and putting their hands together. Like Norm, he didn't teach him that, you know, he taught them like, Hey, do this and this with the money. Like, you know, we deserve this and we're going to split it up and we're going to do all these positive things with it. Um, whether it's for you personally or if it's for other people, but just for that split second, you know, they, that, that, that green eye monster kind of got in between them. And, you know, again, it's, it's that tension. It's, there's so much tension in this movie, um, from different, different angles. Um, I appreciated that it was in there. Patrick, what about you? Did you pull anything specific out of the greed subplot that was taking place? I think it was a means to an end. Because what came out of it, man, you alluded to, which is this idea that these guys were tested. They, they t- tested their friendship. It tested their reliance on each other and their unity and their devotion to one another. I don't know that it was the best way to do that because the way it was executed felt like a kind of an elementary Indiana Jones kind of approach somewhat predictable you know when when david goes down and says, I, you know i gotta go make a deposit i'm like oh this is where they find the gold and that's fine i mean i don't think it's appropriate to criticize a method if i can't back it up and say here's what i would have done and since i can't do that i'm not going to say that spike lee did a bad job i'm saying as a as an audience it felt less impactful than what we were getting up to that point and making that shift to that subplot was very it felt very like a big jump as opposed to just kind of a gradual shift. And so I think that the outcome was really good in terms of letting them walk through that kind of tension. I just don't know that having a heist was probably the best way to go about doing it. I don't know what the alternative would be. So you know, for my money it was fine, but a little bit more distracting than I guess you could say encouraging or movement wise. It wasn't as well executed as I would have liked. Yeah, it was distracting for me, for sure. I think it just the way in which the tone went took me out of it. I think had it just been a matter of them going into the jungle, finding the gold and the remains and then reckoning with the feelings that came with that minus getting caught and having to go through the subplot of the mind finders and taking them hostage and Eddie getting blown up and then being attacked by the Vietnamese. And those are the things that started to erode the movie for me somewhat, but I loved the concept and the idea of it because it's right. I mean, like you said, E-Man, money is the root of all evil. They talk about the movie, talk about the Bible, like yet it is inherently tied to people having to make decisions based on it and 
specifically when we're talking about these men who are in a community who go back to America after serving their country and are right back in another war on their streets for a civil war, a civil rights war. And they go through their lives feeling owed and not feeling like they have, well, not not feeling, but not being given the same opportunities to accumulate wealth that others in their country have had. And so it makes sense that you would want to go back and take this for yourself. And I loved the way that Spike uses that very relevant discussion today that we are having about reparations. And I'm about to ask you about that, Iman, because we've talked about it a lot and, um, and, and how that is played out through this film and this idea of feeling owed, right? And it's brilliant because he gives us this twist to this greed that not only er erodes the relationships and he shows us the tragic way in which the need for money cycles back and hurts even the people who all need it collectively and their ability to come together to get that. But we see the Vietnamese and we learn that this money was being dropped for them. And we get this great moral dilemma, I thought, of who has the right to this money? When the Vietnamese capture them and they have their guns trained on them, there's a very poignant moment where the Vietnamese got the leader there. He's like, this is ours. Like, you're stealing our money. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I struggle because I'm not sure who I'm going to side with, right? And, you know, they were repossessing the gold, according to Norman. And he says, when he gives them the speech, when they're going after it, he says, for all black Americans, slaves and the ones who died. And he says, we give this gold to our people. I believe they even use the word reparations. But with that twist of how is that going to come? And in what way are we going to acquire that ability to now, how do we make up for that? Right. And I love that this movie addresses that. And it also shows that there really is not necessarily an easy answer to that question, but that the, in my opinion, what I see Spike saying and what I believe to be true is that the cost is not worth not figuring it out. Like it has to be figured out because this is not okay. And we cannot allow it to ruin not only people's ability to make a living wage and support families at the same rate that everybody else has the ability to do that. But relationally speaking, it erodes an entire culture from the inside out. And that has to be able to stop. So I just wondered what your thoughts were on that specific piece of this greed subplot, E-Man, where we have these two groups both feeling justified. And in many ways, the Vietnamese and the way that this war, like it was unjust for them too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you know, this is, and it's like, you know, I, I don't think we can really start the conversation of the greed element at the point where they find the gold. I mean, you're really going to have to go back even further to, well, America, you know, I mean, there was a point where we were supposed to get that 40 acres and a mule and then boom, Jim Crow came because of greed, and there goes the reparations right there. And it's funny because, you know, I was having a conversation earlier about that, like, 
we wouldn't have to talk about 14 trillion dollars you know being owed to black people and reparations if we had only gotten those 40 acres and a mule but given the interest and given the complexity of you know uh, um just denying and acting you know it piles up so at a certain point because the original greed never got resolved it's not going we don't have a way to parcel out what people are owed or not fairly and how to distribute it so yeah you're right that conflict between you know with the vietnamese people were thinking like hey no 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 that money was ours <laughs> and the black people were like no 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 that money that money had been ours you know i mean just imagine if there was like a first nations person there and they were like uh uh, uh hold on <laughs> you know what i mean so it's kind of like you can keep going down the line mm-hmm. and it's just like well if only we had nipped this in the bud to begin with but this is just the way i looked at it is this is the nasty consequence of what happens when you just let this stuff fester you know when it just grows and it just gets messier i mean i'm sitting here thinking about just doing my taxes you know and if i don't you know pay what i need to pay and you know keep track of the records that i need to keep track of and so on and so forth like it's a mess like i am i am just sitting there with a pile of papers over and over and it's just ridiculous and nobody nobody wants to go through all of that stuff right nobody wants to filter through all those things so um it was an interesting dynamic but you know i i just think that was the tip of the iceberg you know when when it comes to the greed aspect and you know it 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 had it did not touch on enough in my opinion on america's responsibility um and their you know america as a you know as a government entity that is uh their their level of accountability and sorting all that out to you know to begin with that sort of ties into this kind of last question i wanted to pose to you guys and get your thoughts on and that's the ending and unlike a lot of spike films i feel like this sort of ties up with bow-ish in some ways i mean there are hefty checks that make their way to people who i think we want to see have hefty checks and yet basically every man is dead except for is it otis who makes it i think otis is yeah, the one otis. Who survives, right? otis survives yeah. otis gets to see his um daughter in a mm-hmm. very touching scene would have liked honestly more of that whole storyline uh, just I, I loved that being included this idea that listen this is a real thing that happened and this is one man like this happened to many many gis okay and the very direct way in which hannah tells him listen your daughter grew up part black and it was hard for her too here because of that and so everybody has their own pain associated with this and so it was a really it was a much needed for me hug and I love you. And I think it was much needed because for me, I had a hard time with the wrap up of Paul and David's relationship or lack thereof, honestly, because what ultimately becomes the defining end for Paul is really a moment of peace that comes from him getting forgiveness from a ghost. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but that is what happens. And while I found that 
to be touching and meaningful and powerful still in a way, it was hard for me because it's a letter that, that his son gets. His actual son ends up not being able to have those moments with his dad and ends up being parentless. Like, and I struggle with that because I want to judge, to be honest, guys. I want to judge. I want to say, no, you can't do this. You're being selfish. Like, you have to put it all away and you have to go deal with him. But we get into that mental health conversation of where you're not in a place where you're able to do that. And Paul was not in a place where he could do that. And it is extra tragic to me because by the time he makes it to that place, now he's going to die. And and he, theoretically, if he makes it out of this jungle and this situation, maybe he is able to have that relationship with his son. And it's just another, there's always something blocking it. Um, and so I was conflicted with the ending because of that. And it left me not a hundred percent satisfied. And I just, I was curious, like if you felt like this wrapped up in a way that narratively not only made sense, but that uh, what kind of feelings did it leave you with you, man? Um, you know, it, I was glad that it wasn't wasted, you know? Um, I think that, even for David's character, I think that he's still going to have some level of closure because had he not gone on that trip, I think it would have been far worse. You know, like he still had something to remember his dad um, by. Obviously, it could have been better, you know, but um, I, I, I like the fact that at the end of the day, you know, uh, what, what, I think it was Keanu Reeves who had said something to the effect of, you know, um, you know, it's about those who remember us. Like that's, that's like the big thing, you know? And I'm sitting here thinking like, Hey, you've got an organization, you know, I think it was Black Lives Matter that, you know, got that donation or whoever it was. Um, I'm pretty sure that they're going to remember, uh, Eddie for that. Um, you know, uh, um, then you had the, uh, the other blood son who, you know, got the money and, um, that's generational wealth that we missed out on, you know, because of the lack of reparations. So that's, you know, a little element of that. Um, and I, you know, to me, it was just like, I was just happy that it just wasn't for nothing, you know, because it had, they all just died and nobody had gotten the money and, then I would have just been a whole lot more soured on it as I guess that's just life, you know, and it, and just have like a cynical view to it. But the mere fact that it actually went somewhere and somewhere positive and somewhere that was kind of like within their wishes, I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's money, you know, but it's also what is it doing? What, what, what action? you know, is your final action that still leaves a positive impact on the world in some way, shape or form. And I thought they accomplished that. So that gave me that small little warm feeling inside, like, okay, I can leave this a little bit better than I did Black Klansman, where, you know, I'm not leaving on a panning out of a burning cross, like, yep, oh, racism's still here, you know. So yeah, it was a slightly better uh, twist to it for me. Yeah, there were a couple of things that I pulled out from that 
One being that this is one of the few times that Spike Lee lives a, leaves us with a piece of optimism, leaves us with a sense that things could get better. And that's rare because as we've seen in his past films, there's really kind of an exclamation point where I feel like this is sort of a period. It felt softer than a lot of his other endings. And the thing is, is that was reflected in little moments throughout the movie with regard to how he viewed the Vietnam folks. He didn't, this was a movie about black men and about black soldiers, but he didn't ignore the fact that they were invading a country that didn't need to be invaded. And the moments with the Vietnam tour guide were particularly impactful for me. They were coming out of the restaurant and he was talking about his dad serving on the other side. And there was a lot of respect that you could see that they had for him. And again, as we mentioned on the boat, he was asked to put his hand in as well because he was part of this. He was considered a, you know, he's a, just like they are, but he's a Vietnam, you know, and I, I think that something that I appreciate about this movie is the fact that Spike Lee wasn't just myopic in his story, that he acknowledged this global injustice that happens. And that ties a little bit into my connecting point we'll get into, but I can, I can respect that. And I think that that's a level of maturity that I value in him because what he's alluded to is still truthful. I mean, the, the narrative that we have in this country is the black oppression narrative and rightly so, but blacks were not the only ones that were oppressed. It's the narrative we have, but it's not the whole truth. And there's a there's a sense that I think Spike Lee kind of hints at that with that ending where we don't just see the Black Lives Matter crew getting money. We see the group of um, led by the French who see injustice towards a country that is filled to this day with landmines, you know, things of destruction that are killing innocent people inadvertently. But they were left there because of an unnecessary war. And so I think in that regard, he was delicate. I think he was poetic. And I wouldn't say he wrapped it up in a nice bow, but I think he leaves us with a sense of, look, we're all trying to do something to make this better. And as you mentioned, Eman, we don't have $12 trillion to just hand out. What can we do to resolve the bigger conflict that's here? Not people being owed money, but finding equality in other ways. If that means specifically uh, talking to Aaron several months ago, I have an opportunity to hire some new people. I'm going to try to target people of color and women if I can. And deliberately or not deliberately, I'm going to try to make that as intentional as possible within the company's constraints. That's a way to do that. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will, but it's a way and it helps to continue to be educated. And I think Spike Lee's a voice to help do that very loud voice but a voice nonetheless and i think it's important uh that he has more of these opportunities like like this movie and others great well with that said we are going to move into the connecting points and while i normally would 
have you go first, Eman. I'm actually going to have Patrick go first because some of this ties into what he was just mentioning. And then we'll, I'll throw mine out there and we'll let you wrap us up. So Patrick, how about you kick us off? The place that I really found a connection was the whole sequence where Storm and Norman's significance is being explained to David and it's played in flashback sequences. And there are a couple of parts that stand out to me. One is as he's being talked about, he's mentioned that he's a great leader, that he's, and they're walking, he and his men are walking through this jungle. And what I noticed in this movie, I didn't know if I had the subtitles on by default or if they were coming up at certain points because they felt very sporadic. It didn't, but I, for, I kept kind of reminding myself, you're in Vietnam, so you're going to have people that are not speaking English. And this was really interesting for me from a technical standpoint. We get to see with subtitles what these Vietnam soldiers are talking about. Like normally, if you're looking at Forrest Gump or a movie where you're, you're looking from an American point of view, you're going to hear Vietnam conversations happening to indicate that they're in the distance and they're close by, but you don't hear what they're saying. And what we see are these guys talking about their girlfriends and talking about how they can't wait to get back and how the war is kind of affecting them in a way. And then all of a sudden you hear Storm and Norman say, go, and then they just get mowed down by these machine guns, by these assault rifles. And that hit me because it's like, wow, these guys, the Five Bloods didn't know anything about what these guys were talking about. Had they known that, would they have fired? I don't know, probably because it's quote the enemy. But it just get, I think what Spike Lee does here is he exposes the other side for just a moment. And he said, these are 18 year old kids and 19 and 20 year old kids that have lives just like we do. There's a moment earlier on where they're walking out of the restaurant and they're like, you know what? This could have been, this whole war could have been avoided had a McDonald's just shown up. It could have been done in like a week. Because they're admiring the modern atmosphere of the city. Like they didn't see Vietnam that way when they were there. It's just, it surprises them. And so we get this explanation. We get that scene that was just really jarring for me. And then later on, we get the, the radio DJ announcing the death of Martin Luther King. And you see all five of these guys just reacting very viscerally to it. And, and of course, Paul wants to go kill the white man appropriately enough and people the rest are just getting mad and and norman says guys this isn't us you know martin luther king was a man of peace and they're like yeah and look where it got him and this whole sequence where norman is really talking these guys down from the ledge what he's doing is he's not devaluing how they feel i think it's important to know that he says i'm angry too and then he goes on to say, but we have to be able to do this the right way. And then at the very end of that conversation, you know, they, they bring it in, they do the, they, they do their thing. And then that last moment, they all yell like this, just this warrior cry of frustration and anger and they blast their guns. And it's a fantastic exclamation point to that whole sequence because it's almost as if Spike Lee is telling his audience, we're angry. We have a right to be angry, 
but we understand that there are constraints. It's, it's almost like it sh he's showing the conflict of what these guys are experiencing in a way that they have to be able to control it. And of course, that's reflected in today's culture where you see in the media, you have black men who are not doing anything but are getting thrown down or all these things. You have to follow the rules a lot more succinctly. And I think seeing Chadwick Boseman's performance here is one that's just fantastic because he is he's not just being a level head, but he's also validating. And I think it's important to know that he's not dismissing what they're feeling. He's embracing it, but from a place of you know, critical thinking, from a place of level headedness, from rationalization. And to me, I think that's right thinking right there. It's able to say, okay, we can mourn, we can be angry, but what's next? Because if we're angry and we react, what's it going to do? It's just going to cause more. And then it's just going to be a continuous back and forth punching fight, you know, punching back fight, a boxing match that leads to nothing. Does Spike Lee give an answer? No, he doesn't. He leaves us with a, a righteous anger, <laughs> much like him. And, and I think that's appropriate. But yeah, for me, I think that whole sequence was what stood out for me. Well, we have the same one, and I'm not going to rehash everything you just said because you said it very, very well, and I agree with you. Um, I totally resonated with the MLK death sequence and just watching men want retribution but want it to end, everything to end, the way they've been treated, and seeing this icon and this man who fought for them and did it the right way still end up dead for it and just feeling of helplessness is what i was pulling from them so strongly and like you said just the way that norman is able to talk them through that anger and they are able to come together for that great moment anytime they put their hands in man was just really cool to see i thought the way that that displayed the closeness of them and the way that they used that as a sort of physical manifestation of de-escalation for the group, whether it was for one of them or for all of them. And then, like you said, the, the firing the guns off into the air and screaming was cathartic, obviously for the characters. Um, and And yet part of me is watching that going... I get it. I 100% get it from a character standpoint, but I also am like, and it does nothing. <laughs> it changes nothing. It makes you feel better in the moment, but it changes nothing. And so what's the, again, what I leave with all the time now that I feel like I'm having these conversations on a daily is like, what's the step that does make a change? Where do we go so that it's not just about getting catharticism in the moment? It's about how do we make change? How do we make change and how do we sustain that? And so that scene again left me not conflicted in a bad way, but emotionally, re you know, wrestling with the truth of what are these people supposed to do? They can't latch back out. They can't go kill innocent people in their anger because Martin Luther King was assassinated. But now what? <laughs> you know, it's always taking away from them. It's, it's just constant loss. And so. Yeah, it was pretty powerful for me as well, and it was my connecting point. E-Man, 
Yours is not an actual scene, I believe. It's more of thematics, uh, situations from the movie. So how was, how did it play out for you as far as what you, what you resonated with the most? Man, first of all, I loved your, both of your connecting points. Cause, and that's the weird thing for me. Like, I feel like it's so weird to ask for just one connecting point. Cause like I connected on so many different ones and it's, <laughs> It's like, you know, if I talk about one, I don't want to not talk about the others <laughs> other podcasts, you know. But I mean, yes, it was definitely the themes. Um, you know, like I said before earlier, like just the whole notion of um or the dynamic between being black, serving for your country, having your patriotism questioned just because you call out the injustices that you still faced as an American citizen or even as an American veteran. And it's like, it's, it's the most perplexing and frustrating thing. And I like the fact that it's being displayed because you see that frustration from these veterans and it's so like genuine, you know, I mean, I, I, I know veterans that still get pissed off, you know, about, just how this country treats them or how this country forgets that they serve for this country, you know? And it's just like, so that, that the theme of just like the, the mere hypocrisy in how America wants to value, you know, the people that serve us and value the certain patriotism. But if you're black, sorry, you know, you get that exemption um, right there, but there's that, I mean, there's, there's the, the, um, the, the, the theme with parenthood. I mean, I was definitely connecting every time there was a small moment of Paul acting like an actual father, like any little moment that he'd be like, Hey guys, my son's going to get a fair share here. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, like it, it just kind of hit me real quick. Like he's recognizing him. You know, he, he's acknowledging him. That's, that's so touching, you know, and, um, you know, so that, that theme in itself. And then, of course, with, um, the, the theme of reconciliation with, uh, Paul finally coming to terms with himself and with Norman. And I personally looked at that as a, an internal sense of peace that I think a lot of minorities would love to have in some way, sense or shape or form. I, I mean, I, I, I long for the day when we all can be treated equally and we can afford to live in a colorblind society. We can't right now because we don't get treated as though we're colorblind. Hence why the colorblind thing doesn't work. So, um, to feel that sense of peace, I almost felt a little envious of Paul and his character. And I, th but I, I liked the, the journey that it took to get there, you know, and to see that like, oh, there is a light at the end of the road. Um, I mean, to the point where I, you know, even Paul was comfortable with his own death, but, you know, he was just like, I'm good, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm fine. There's nothing you can do to hurt me at this point, you know? And it's it's that true peace rather than the masking of peace, rather than that the the act or the front of we're strong and we can make it. No, nah, we're we're hurting inside. 
it, it's it's an issue and sometimes we don't even know it sometimes we don't even know to process it you know so it, it you know just all these different dynamics that are happening and all these different things that are happening in the movie and again i don't even know if spike is completely aware of it or if it's just subliminally coming out and being manifested you know manifested just because it's part of the black experience but on a number of different levels all of these things just connected with me so um yes definitely the themes were uh a huge factor for me in this movie well, good, man. I'm I'm happy to hear it, and I'm happy to hear that people are responding to it. I know that that many, many, many people are going to respond to it in a whole lot of different ways. They're going to respond to it scattered. They're going to respond to it, and they're going to resonate with it. People are probably going to be in tears. Um, hopefully, people are going to walk away at some points or at least have some feelings of hope. Um, but definitely not a bad movie. Um, and in definitely a movie that has so much passion behind it. And that is one thing you will always get with Spike is you get honesty and you get passion <laughs> and love him or hate him. And I don't know why you'd ever hate him, but love him or not love every little artistic choice <laughs> or not. You know, a lot of it is great. And Delroy Lindo is amazing. So that should be undebatable, in my opinion. I will fight you. If anybody tries to tell me otherwise. Well, E-Man, thank you, man, for coming on. This has been awesome, and I really, really appreciate you being here, especially for this discussion um, on this movie. Where can people find the interview, which I'm going to go look up as soon as we get off this podcast, and where can people find your movie reviews and all the awesome work that you're doing in the film criticism world? Oh, yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me again. I always, it's always fun, you know, coming on here, and it's such a pleasure. Um by all means, I mean, you can always find everything and anything on my Facebook fan page, uh, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Uh, that's E-Man, you know, just like E-Man without the H. And, um, you know, the full interview has not, I'm hoping by the time this pod is released, uh, that the full interview is released on the African American Film Critic Association YouTube channel um which is a definite must watch but i will always link it so if you find me you'll find the interview uh so definitely follow me there uh i'll also post my um portion of the interview on my youtube channel again that's e-man's movie reviews on youtube and um just as a sneak peek i haven't told anyone this because i like giving you guys little exclusives um i will be releasing my own list of recommendations on um films that i think would be educational and beneficial to learning about racism um and not just you know a laundry list of movies that just so happen to be made by black people like there's very specific reasons uh that i break down as to why you should watch this and why you should watch that and what you can get away from it and um you know, I, I personally think that it'll be pretty educational, uh, given the time that we're in now. And, you know, it's, it's not, I can tell you now, there's no white guilt, you know, involved. So you can watch this. It's judgment free. No one has to feel like they're going to be talked down to. It's simply a matter of sharing and educating. And, uh, if you're ready to listen, that's going to be the video for you. I love it. And listeners, E-Man is also part, as I mentioned earlier, of the Black Label, 
which is a feeling film special series you can find on the podcast. They are titled Black Label, so they stand out in our podcast feed. Normally it's episode and a number. These just say Black Label. Uh, it's E-Man, Colby Mack, Aaron Hundley, and Coles Davis. And they are an incredible group who talk about movies, talk about culture, and the insight that we, just we, meaning me and Patrick, but I know many of our listeners have gained, it's a hit. Um, it's really awesome and helpful and educational and insightful. And we highly recommend you check out him in that series. And then you can also find him chatting in the Feel and Film Facebook group, if you so wish. He's there and he is talkative. Just like you hear him now on the podcast. This is him in real life. He will engage with you. He will have a serious conversation with you. And he will talk your ear off for five hours about Marvel movies. So whatever you're feeling, he will do. That'll do it for this episode of Feelin' Film. Coming up next week, we return to the world of Fast and Furious, covering the fourth installment, Fast and Furious. <laughs> Sorry. Happily <laughs> 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 named. <laughs> we hope you are enjoying that journey with us so far and if so this episode should continue that enjoyment guys thanks for another great conversation and we will talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you we also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing facebook discussion group a link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive and keep feeling film.